Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. Actually, yesterday, on New Year's Day, we kicked off a daily teaching series that you can find on our Journey YouTube channel. And this series is called Daily Wisdom. And we are studying the 31 chapters of the biblical book of Proverbs during the 31 days of January, one chapter a day. Proverbs has long been one of my favorite biblical books. It contains so many practical, so many helpful principles for living wisely in this new year or any year. And wouldn't it be great if we can make wise choices and said wise words and we're wise in handling our money and wise in our relationships and wise in our marriage and wise in raising our children and wise at work and wise with our diet this year. Wouldn't that be great? Everybody gets better. Everybody will have a happy new year if we could all live with a little more wisdom. I like how Bible scholar J.I. Packer defined wisdom. He said, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. So here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to take the daily wisdom challenge over the next 31 days. And here's what the daily wisdom challenge is, level one. For the next 31 days, I will read one chapter of the book of Proverbs every day. And to help us with this, we have a daily teaching from one of our pastors or ministry residents to guide you through each chapter. I did the teaching yesterday. And again, you go to the Journey YouTube channel and you'll see this teaching every day. Level two, I will pick one verse from each chapter to commit to meditate on daily. Every day as you read, I want you to identify one verse from that chapter that stands out to you and meditate on it throughout the rest of that day. I want you to think about it. I want you to write it down. I want you to post it on your social media platform. Put it somewhere where you will see it frequently and just Do that and see if God doesn't keep calling that to your mind and help you live wiser over the next 31 days. Level three, I will not take the daily wisdom challenge alone. I will share my journey with others. I want you to choose one or more friends and agree to read Proverbs together. Married couples, you can do this with each other. If you're in a life group, do it as a group. If you're not in a group, This would be a great time to start one. But I ask you, do not take this daily wisdom challenge alone. Today is January the 2nd, and so we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 2, and the major theme of Proverbs chapter 2 in a nutshell is this. Wisdom must be sought at all cost because it's too costly to live without it. Let me say that again. Wisdom must be sought at all cost because it's too costly to live without it. Now, before we dive into the text, let me give you some, a, a very important news update. Kentucky played in the Verbo Citrus Bowl yesterday in Orlando. And I'm sure you already knew that. 
I was there yesterday. Take a look at that. Decked out in our Kentucky and our friends Bobby and uh, Lisa Belcher with us as well. Uh, they actually played in that same bowl game three years ago in 2019. I was at that game too. Here's a picture from that day as well. I got my ticket that year through this gentleman that sat to my right, a dear brother named Ben Irwin. Ben died after a long battle with a rare blood cancer early in 2021. Ben was a huge Gator fan, but he knew how much I love UK sports, and so he arranged for me not only to get a ticket, but a ticket that was behind the UK bench with access to a huge pregame buffet meal and a parking pass, and he actually sat with me through the first half of that game and cheered even though he did not feel good. That's a guy who loves his pastor, and I loved and miss Ben. You know, I, I, I got to thinking about that. I lived for four years in the state of Mississippi. I survived 13 winters in Northeast Ohio, and I have lived for nearly 12 years and counting in the state of Florida, and yet I have been to many, many UK games, both basketball and football, even though I've lived hundreds of miles away from Kentucky. How is that? Well, it helps that Mississippi and Florida are SEC states, and Kentucky annually plays in both of those states. But you still got to seek a ticket for the game, and I certainly have. The greatest ticket-seeking adventure I ever experienced was when I lived in Ohio. The UK men's basketball team played their first round game in Cleveland during the 2000 NCAA tournament. Tickets were sold out well in advance. I tried to get some, but no luck. So I thought, what other teams are playing at this same regional site? There was Syracuse, there was St. Bonaventure, and Samford University. And I said, wait a minute, Samford University? The president of Samford University at the time was a man named Thomas Courts. Thomas Courts just so happened to be the brother of one of my predecessors at the church I pastored in Ohio, David Courts. I knew David. David liked me. <laughs> so I called him up who lives in Arizona, and I asked him if he could ask his brother if he had an unused ticket from their school's allotment. He called me back and said, Thomas said, meet him at the Samford Hotel headquarters an hour before their game. I walked into a pep rally in the lobby of this hotel for the Samford Bulldogs. I asked where I could find President Thomas Court. Someone led me right to him. I introduced myself, and he said, so you're the Kentucky fan David told me about. <laughs> Dr. Courts gave me the ticket, and he said, one condition. You have to cheer for Samford during our game. I said, during your game, I'm a Samford Bulldog. I sat two rows behind the Samford bench next to the president of Samford. When UK played the next game, guess where I sat? Two rows behind the Kentucky bench. During timeouts, an usher would come down and block the aisle, preventing people from going out on the court. So he and I struck up some small talk, and we got to know some things about each other. UK wins the game. They play two days later. A friend from the church calls me, and he says, I have tickets to the game. You want to go? Of course. Duh. Only these tickets were like two rows from the top of the arena. So I spotted my usher friend from two days before. And I noticed the seats I sat in were empty. So I walked down to his section and he said, hey, it's my favorite Kentucky fan. And I said, I noticed the seats where I sat the other day empty, even though the game started. He said, you come back after the next TV timeout. If those seats are still empty, they're yours. The seats were still empty. And he said to me and my buddy, enjoy the rest of the game. 
Now, here's what I want to tell you. Nobody who knows me is surprised by any of that. What's the point of that silly story, and what's that got to do with Proverbs chapter 2? Well, there's two unrelated points, and there's one huge convicting truth I want to share it to you. Here's the two unrelated points. Number one, it pays to be nice to ushers. These are the gatekeepers. It pays to be nice to ushers. Number two, never forget who's related to who. That will help you a lot in life. But the biggest convicting truth for me is this. I need to seek wisdom like I seek UK tickets. I'm serious. I need to seek wisdom like I seek UK. If I look for wisdom with the same dedication, creativity, commitment, and intensity that I sought UK tickets, my life would be so much better and so much more meaningful, certainly than fretting over the outcome of a game determined by overindulged 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. And the Proverbs writer's telling us, wisdom can be found if we search for it diligently enough And once found, it can save a person from disaster and leads to great life satisfaction. So let's read Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up commands, and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight, and cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless and protects Uh, For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair and every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Solomon, the ancient Hebrew king who's reported to have been the wisest person in the world, wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And he's writing for a very specific reason that he introduces to us in chapter 1 and amplifies here in chapter 2. He's seeking to instruct his son or sons in the ways of wisdom. In chapter 1, he writes, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And chapter two begins with him saying, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. Solomon is passing along some timeless truths and practical principles about how life works best to his children. And isn't that what every parent seeks to do with their children? When my girls were living at home, sometimes I just had some things on my heart I wanted to tell them. And I'd go to their rooms, and I'd knock on their door, and I'd sit on their bed beside them, or I'd sit in the floor next to them. And I would just share some things that I saw that concerned me, some things that bothered me, some things that excited me. There just sometimes, there were just some things I wanted them to know, and I realized I had a short window to share with them, and I wanted to make the most of it. And if you were to ask Those girls uh, about those talks then, they'd probably roll their eyes dismissively and say, yeah, yeah, dad, we get it. If you ask them today about some of those talks, they'd probably still roll their eyes, but they would say, I needed that then more than I realized. And Solomon, like any parent, is saying in Proverbs, 
Listen up. Pay attention. I want to tell you some things that are valuable, some things that can help you, some things that can protect you. That's chapter one. But here in chapter two, he says, I not only want you to pay attention to wisdom, I want you to pursue it. I want you to prize it. I want you to be passionate about seeking wisdom. Look at the words he uses when he talks about pursuing wisdom. Store up my commands within you. Turn your ear to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding. Call out for insight. Cry aloud for understanding. Look for it as for silver. Search for it as for hidden treasure. Friends, those are not passive phrases. They're active. They're intense. They're eager. They're hungry images. The idea is to prioritize the pursuit of wisdom in your life. And yet, we see an important paradox about wisdom in this chapter that will emerge throughout almost every chapter that's to come in the book of Proverbs. Solomon is saying this, wisdom is something we should seek because wisdom is seeking us. Wisdom is something we should seek because wisdom is seeking us. Throughout the book, we're gonna see both sides of this great paradoxical truth. Wisdom cries out to us, even as we cry aloud for it. So after telling us in verses two through four of chapter two to put forth our greatest effort to get wisdom, in verse six, he says, ultimately, wisdom is a gift from God. He says again in verse six, for the Lord gives wisdom. So which is it? Do we go after wisdom or is wisdom a gift from God? And the answer is yes. Yes. This is an idea that runs through all the biblical books. But perhaps Paul crystallizes it best when he wrote this to the Philippian church. Look what Paul wrote. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then he immediately adds this. For it is God who works in you in order to will and to act according to his good purpose. Work out, Paul says, what God is working in. Tim Keller points out the wisdom of this paradox in and of itself. He says, if it were all up to us, we would live and labor under crushing anxiety and we'd burn out. But if God only worked apart from us, we'd lose all sense of initiative. This paradox of seeking while being sought gives us enough incentive and enough assurance to pursue the knowledge of God all our life long. So let's talk about both sides of this idea. Let's start with the being sought side or the sovereignty of God side, really. And that's why Paul Tripp, who's a great author and teacher, he says every proverb relies on and reveals the sovereignty of God. Now think about that. Every proverb relies on and reveals the sovereignty of God. There's a sovereign God, in other words, who stands in the middle of the proverb, stands behind every proverb. The proverbs present to us a world under rule. There is a God, he rules his world. His will will be done. Those who trust him will have blessing and ultimate victory. Dr. Tripp writes, when I read the Proverbs, I often think of this passage in Daniel 4. These are the words we're about to read of the Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar, who was humbled by God. Nebuchadnezzar said, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can stay his hand or say to him, 
What have you done? That's the God the Proverbs writer is presenting to us, and he's telling us the awe and reverence for that God is the starting point of all knowledge and wisdom. Now, you may be thinking, so if the Proverbs present to us a God in complete control of us and everything else, why do I need the Proverbs? If God's in control of everything, why do we need to wrestle with the ways of wisdom? Because the Proverbs teaches that God is sovereign, not just over the ends of what will happen, but, as, but the means as well. In other words, the way God establishes his sovereign rule takes into account the agency of our choices, our actions, our belief, our faith, and our obedience. The means of our choice is part of his plan. And so behind the Proverbs is God's plan to use this portion of his wisdom to establish, bless, and ultimately deliver to his children a life that flourishes instead of one that flounders. He doesn't just determine the end of things, God is involved in the means as well. Or we could say it like this. God's sovereignty is what gives the Proverbs their surety. God's sovereignty is what gives the Proverbs their surety. Behind every proverb is a sovereign God that seeks to offer us a life that is better than we can even imagine. But not only does Proverbs show us the sovereignty of God, every proverb reveals how the grace of God redeems our choices. Now, if you were to ask the average believer or average reader of Scripture, where do you go to learn about the grace of God? I doubt many of them would say, I go to the book of Proverbs. Because we just don't think of the Proverbs that way. But the Proverbs teach us such a beautiful things about God's grace, which is highlighted in this seeking while being sought paradox. Now, take a look at this statement. We'll unpack this. God is opposed to effort when it comes to having a relationship with him. Excuse me, God is opposed to earning, let me say it right, when it comes to having a relationship with him, but he's he's not opposed to effort. Take a look at that again. I like how Dallas Willard explains this. He says, the path of spiritual growth and the riches and wisdom of Christ is not a passive one. Grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Effort is action, earning is attitude. And he writes, you've never seen people more active than those who've been set on fire by the grace of God. Paul, who perhaps understood grace better than any other human being, looked back at what happened to him, and here's what Paul wrote. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Now, that grace Paul talks about is unmerited favor, but the form it takes is the action of God in our lives with our actions. In other words, if we wish to know more of this and see the deliverance it works in us and around us, we must do the things that will bring it to pass. These are the spiritual disciplines or the disciplines of a spiritual life. Now, take a look at this definition. Disciplines are activities within our power, in other words, things we can do, that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort because we meet with the actions of God's grace within us. The effect of discipline is to enable us to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And this is the general nature of discipline. And there's simply no area of human attainment from playing a musical instrument proficiently to excelling in sports competitively 
from speaking a language fluently that does not require discipline. This is important because one of the great themes that runs through the book of Proverbs is discipline. Disciplined thought, disciplined action, disciplined planning, even disciplined children is highlighted time and again throughout the Proverbs. Take a look at some of these Proverbs. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is stupid. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame. Whoever heeds correction is honored. A fool spurns a parent's discipline. But whoever heeds correction shows prudence. The word for discipline in many of these passages means training with strong accountability. It means being drilled under an instructor who often gets in your face. So often, uh, so, so wisdom comes through the pain of personal confrontation by family or friends or people who know us and love us or from learning from our mistakes as well as the mistakes of others or through the suffering that God judiciously allows into our lives. Tim Keller says, every time your car breaks down and you have to figure out how to fix it, you become wiser about cars. I've had so many car repairs, I should be like an automotive genius. <laughs> Seriously. But you, you, you learn a little bit every time something breaks down, right? Reminds me of the story of the older successful business executive. And he was asked by a younger up-and-coming business executive why he was so successful. And the old guy said, wise decisions. And the younger guy said, well, where'd you learn how to make wise decisions? He said, experience. And he said, where'd you get the experience? He said, dumb decisions. And that's how life works. One famous philosopher wrote that wisdom can be discovered only after a journey through the wilderness which no one can take for us and from which no one can spare us. Wisdom comes to us not through acquisition of knowledge, but through painful experience and honest reflection through what Tim Keller calls the hard-won habits, the hard-won habits of wisdom. Therefore, to become wise is to become a disciplined person. One who's not given to impulsiveness, but to self-examination, prudent planning, and clear thinking. It's to become a resilient person who through hard knocks has become poised and resourceful. Freedom to perform under pressure is always found under the authority of discipline. Let me say that one more time. Freedom to perform under pressure is always found under the authority of discipline. And this may be the most countercultural, revolutionary idea in all the book of Proverbs. This is an idea that runs so against what contemporary thinkers tell us. Proverbs puts before us the importance of a life of submission, a life of submission to a higher authority, a life of submission to a greater wisdom. Hear how the book of Proverbs begins with the clearest statement on this principle. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If there was one proverb that stands above all the rest, that gives the rest of them a sense of purpose, this is it. The Proverbs writer's telling us here, there is one who sits on the throne of the universe who knows better 
and has generously poured his wisdom down on us. But that means the wise life, the good life, the fruitful life is not a life of independence and self-direction. That philosophy is a dangerous lie and it promises things it can never deliver. Independence is not the goal of life. Self-direction is not the goal of life. The good life is not that I can do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. That's not the good life. And yet the folly of sin that the Proverbs writer continually talks about makes that idea somehow attractive to us. And this is where I think the Proverbs fit so well with the gospel story. And I want you to think of this. What is the move of God's grace in your life? What's the move of God's grace in your life? In other words, what is the direction God is leading us with the wisdom that he gives us? The move of God's grace is not to bring you from dependence to independence. The move of God's grace is to bring you from independence to greater dependence. In other words, the more spiritually mature you are, the more God's grace has worked in your life, the more dependent you will be on God, his wisdom, his commands, his grace, his word, on the fellowship of his people, on any resource of grace that God puts in your life. And so the move of Proverbs is the same. It's to challenge the natural independence of sin that inevitably results in folly. There is one who knows what's best. He's poured his wisdom down on us just because he's a God of grace. He's a God of love. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, the goal of Proverbs is not to restrict your life. It's to release true life. It's not to kill your fun. It's to keep you free. It's to bless you with beautiful things that you would never have or that you would never choose on your own. It's a gift of God that says to us, come, submit to me, and I will lead you in a good path. The key to the good life is not independence. The key to the good life is submitting to the wisdom and authority of God. And Proverbs, you're going to see this as you read this month. Proverbs really tries to help us see the folly of folly or the foolishness of foolishness. And this is so important because here's a problem that you have and I have. Foolishness doesn't always seem foolish to us. You didn't understand that. <laughs> Foolishness doesn't always seem foolish to us. In fact, the further you go down the road toward folly, the more you interpret all events as supporting what you always believed anyway. Foolishness doesn't always seem foolish to us. If you're pulling out your credit card to buy something you can't actually afford, with no thought of how you're actually going to pay for this new increase in your debt, you're not thinking about how foolish that is. You're thinking about the excitement of this new possession that you're about to get. If you're lusting after a person on an internet site, you're not thinking of the danger and utter foolishness of what you're doing. You're thinking of the beauty you're looking at and the pleasure that you fantasize in your mind. That's why we need to be continually warned and reminded to remember the foolishness of foolishness. But here's the problem. Foolishness doesn't just live in the grand moments of our lives. Foolishness lives in all those little seemingly inconsequential mundane moments of your life. In other words, the life of a fool isn't built on four monumental failures. The life of a fool is built on 10,000 little undisciplined moments. Likewise, the life of a wise person isn't built on three or four majestic moments. It's built in a thousand teeny disciplined moments of life. And the character formed in those little moments shapes us and how we respond to the big moments of life. 
So the Proverbs works to help us see the danger of foolishness. There are various forms that foolishness takes and is highlighted throughout the book. We read about the mocker. We read about the simple. We read about the obstinate. We read about the troublemaker. We read about the sluggard. But the ultimate foolishness is to make anything the center of our lives besides God. That will always lead to disappointment and breakdown. Jesus once described the foolish person as one whose life is built on the shifting sands of human knowledge instead of on the solid rock of Christ's word and wisdom. The storms of life will ultimately and utterly collapse the house of a fool, but the wisdom of Jesus' presence and promise will continually give solid refuge and safety to all who trust in him. So here's what we need to understand. The fool doesn't just need instruction, he needs heart and life transformation. And we all need this instruction because let me tell you, sin reduces all of us to fools. I wanna just talk to parents real quick, real quick parents. Parents, you ought to read the Proverbs and look at the folly of folly because you're parenting fools. In fact, the Proverbs writer says, children come into the world with foolishness in their hearts. And they need parents who hold God's wisdom before them, parents who, need, who hold the need for rescuing, transforming grace before your children because your children don't just need protection. They don't just need instruction. Your children, being fools like you were, need radical heart and life, life transformation. And that transformation only comes by the power of God's grace that leads us to searching for the wisdom that's always been searching for us. Dr. Rosalind Pikard is a professor at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. She's a professor of media arts and sciences, and she shares her journey from an arrogant fool who rejected God to one who was humbled by God's grace. Listen to what she says. As early as grade school, when I was a straight-A student, I identified with being smart, and I believe smart people didn't need religion. As a result, I declared myself an atheist and dismissed people who believed in God as uneducated. In high school, I babysat to earn money. One of my favorite families was a young couple, both the husband who was a doctor and the wife were really sharp. One night after paying me, they invited me to church. I was stunned. People this smart actually went to church. When Sunday morning came around, I told them I had a stomachache. Eventually, the couple tried a different tack. They said, going to church is not what matters most. What matters most is what you believe. Have you read the Bible? The doctor suggested that I start reading with the book of Proverbs. To my surprise, she writes, Proverbs was full of wisdom. I had to pause while reading and think. I then read through the entire Bible. I felt this strange sense of being spoken to. I began wondering whether there really might be a God. During my freshman year in college, he says, I reconnected with a friend who was a straight-A student and a star on both the basketball court and the football field. I'd never known anyone so smart and so athletic, and he invited me to his church, and I went. And one Sunday, the pastor got my attention when he asked, who is the Lord of your life? I was intrigued. I was the captain of my ship, but was it possible that God would actually be willing to lead me? And so she writes, in the spirit of Pascal's wager, I decided to run an experiment, believing I had much to gain and very little to lose. After praying, Jesus Christ, I ask you to be Lord of my life. My world changed dramatically. It was as if a flat, flat black and white existence suddenly turned full color and three-dimensional. I felt joy and freedom, but also a heightened sense of responsibility and challenge. Today, she writes, I'm a professor at the top university in my field. 
happened. I would think so at MIT. I work closely with people whose lives are filled with medical struggles, people whose children are not healthy. I do not have adequate answers to explain all their suffering, but I know there's a God of unfathomable greatness and love who freely enters into relationship with all who confess their sins and call upon his name. Listen to what she says as she concludes. I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. And she says, today I walk humbly, having received the most undeserved grace. Friends, that's all of our stories right there. So let's read one more time. Stand with me this time. Lake County, stand up. Let's stand together. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it, ask for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Join me in prayer. Father, I just pray in these earliest of days of this new year, thank you, first of all, God, that you brought us into this new year. We're so excited to see what you grow in us and among us. And I pray that wisdom would grow among this body. Everyone who joins us in the daily wisdom teaching or on Sundays, everyone who shares it, I just pray, Lord, you'll help us be wise in our decision-making, in our parenting, in our marriage, with our money, with our diets in our relationships, as we work in every area of life, the Proverbs touches. And I pray we see the sovereignty, your sovereignty, God. This is a world under rule, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Help us to understand that and submit to that. And yet help us to actively pursue and work out the wisdom that you're working in. I pray that now pray you'll just help us to live wiser, better lives in this year. And we all pray and we ask this in the name of Jesus. And we all agreed and said, amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And through Jesus, anything is possible.